I want to add my welcome to the one that Sam's given you. Uh, great to see uh, so many people in our building again to have you all here. And uh, just a welcome to everyone who's still at home, uh, jumping online, watching our service through Freeway Live. I uh, hope that you are feeling just the same amount of encouragement as we come together here in our building, as we come together at home. Uh, just to, to worship through singing uh, together, through prayer and through uh, getting into the Word of God together that just warms our hearts with affection for God and that's just great to, to be a part of. Hey, let's pray and, uh, and then we'll get, in, we'll get to work and look at this last of our Advent um, series today. We're looking at joy and uh, yeah, so that's going to be good. Hey, let's pray and, and then uh, yeah. Get into that. I've lost where I am. Hey, loving Father, as we approach Christmas, uh, we want to give uh, thanks to you uh, that you have written into the center of human history uh, this story of your love for us uh, that, that we call Christmas, that provides us with hope, that fills our hearts with peace. We've been looking at that. And hopefully, as we see today, it is a story of joy, brings joy back into our lives. We pray now, as we look into your word, your Holy Spirit would enliven our hearts to truth, that that would transform us and warm our hearts with affection for you as we encounter uh, your grace and your joy in Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Okay, if I was to ask you just a real simple question for you to tell me a word, any word that just pops into your head that describes God or, um, you know, what would be your top of mind response? Or if we were to survey 100 people from Chelsea and we put their top five uh, responses up here on the board, what, what do you think their response is? What kind of words do you think we'd, we'd get from these people? Well, no doubt we'd probably think top of the list, or we'd hope to find it there, would be God is loving. That would be a word uh, to describe what God's like, and I think that would be a safe guess to go up there. And then maybe we'd probably find words like, he's kind, he's patient, he's, he's slow to get angry, he's quick to forgive. We'd start working our way through uh, Psalm 145 and Psalm 103, maybe Psalm 86 with all these kind of words. We'd get into Exodus 34 there, you know, and if we were really attentive, we'd link Exodus to what Tim said. Remember when Tim preached through Jonah and we'd link Exodus 34 to Jonah 4 too, and yeah, God would be this big, powerful, loving, forgiving, patient, kind, long-suffering God. They'd They'd be appropriate words to put up there. And then maybe negatively, like we might find some negative words, like God is powerful, but he's angry and he's, and he's kind of, he's unhappy or things like that. They would also be the kinds of responses we would expect to hear from people if we surveyed 100 people, put their top five answers up on the whiteboard up there, yeah? How many of you, though, when you stop and I ask you, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? What's the first word? Um, that you think of when you think about God or when you stop and you think about Jesus even was the word joyful. Like, he's just joyful. Yeah? He's the most joyful being I know. In fact, it's not that he's just joyful, that he is joy. Joy is not something that we associate immediately with God. It's not something we associate immediately with Jesus either. 
And maybe that's because we see them as busy dealing, you know, with humanity, uh, either through their steadfast, loving grace, just patiently, long-sufferingly, lovingly, you know, forgiving us, working out salvation history. Or maybe we think of God as this uh, judge who hands out punishments for our bad behavior. Or whatever he's doing, whatever it is, it's, it's kind of work. It's, it's a duty. He's got to be at it. God is doing what he's doing in response to our goodness, in response to our badness, our slowness or our alertness. Kind of not true of God, but sort of how we think about him at times. We, kind of, we conjure up these kind of pictures as we think about God dealing with Israel. You know, their continuous failure. Like God comes along and gives them something. Here's, here's the Ten Commandments. Here's a new toy. And after a while, no more shine. And they go off and they, they go and do... Uh, something dumb again and, and, and oh poor old God he's struggling with these people or we deal up these kind of images as we think about Jesus dealing with his disciples and the crowds and their constant disbelief and their, and their slowness to pick up on who Jesus is you know it's got to be tiring for Jesus because even though he's loving and he's forgiven he just keeps turning up he just keeps getting back into the office. Got to make my way to that cross, right? Got to go and die for these fools for their sin and all their stupidity. But listen, before we knew anything about God's patience, before we knew anything about his kindness, his forgiveness, and maybe before we knew anything about his love, we knew about his joy. As people created by God in the image of God, one of the first things that we experienced was gladness-filled relational joy. Now, that's just a beautiful little phrase that I stole from Matt Chandler's book about Christmas and to, that he uses to describe the base note of creation. Gladness-filled relational joy. So if you want, you can go look at Genesis 2 and you're like, oh, you're always taking us to Genesis. If you understand the first three chapters of Genesis, you understand the rest of the Bible. There in Genesis 2, 23 to 25, there we have the husband meeting his wife for the first time. And he's, he's like an old Jerry Maguire. Oh, you complete me, all that kind of stuff. He, what he's actually saying is at last, at last I can have uh, the same kind of relationship that I have with God, I can now have with another person. Someone who's like me, but they're not like me, which is kind of cool. That's what I like the most about it, but they're like me. And God put into the man and woman the same kind of relational joy that the Godhead knows and experiences. The writer of Genesis gives us uh, this full, the full picture of this when he says that they were naked and they knew no shame. What we have here is just off the chain, deep satisfaction and happiness. You know, in marriage, and that's what this is a picture of, God gave us something in marriage to experience the kind of joy that the Godhead experiences. Now, it's going to be probably a sermon in all of itself. We don't want to open that up. This morning, some of you are probably sitting there going, our marriage isn't like that. Some of you are still in bed looking at each other thinking our marriage isn't like that. I don't know. Anyway, uh, not enough sleep. Okay. We are created in a gladness-filled relational joy. We are made in the image of a God of gladness-filled relational joy. In fact, all of creation is an expression of that joy. Creation is God 
going public with his joy and sharing it with something other than himself. So the design of creation is that we would find our deepest joy in a relationship with God. And then out of that relationship, we would interact with the rest of creation and all its wonderful stuff. And as we interacted with all of that, with all of those experiences, with all of those environments, uh, with all of those relationships, they would be a joy that point us back to God and his provision for us and we would be like our God is good our God is glorious and that would be worship yeah and that's the picture we looked at that's peace that's shalom that's the created rhythm we've seen that you know the Bible has several accounts of creation and they all kind of stand unified and they all stand as a collective unity And they're unique in describing how it was that we all got here and why we got here. All other worldviews, all other religious views says that we're either here through like um, some kind of power struggle or or, or forces, you know, gods at war, like we need some servants, let's chop each other up and we'll make humans and, and things like that. Like the earth comes out of need and power struggle. Or creation just kind of happened. It's random. It's unexplainable. It's accidental. There's no relationship in it all. Only Christianity says that we are both intentional and completely unneeded. You get that? We are intentional and completely unneeded. God did not need us to top up his joy or his self-worth. God did not need to create us to serve him or worship him. He's already this perfect, joyous being. So creation itself is a loving act in which God gifts his joy into our experience. Look at how Proverbs 8 describes how wisdom behaved during the creation of the universe. Now, just about every scholar, apart from a few whack jobs out in the fringes who are trying to make a name for themselves, agree that wisdom here is the word of God before it became flesh. This is, so it's talking about Jesus when he's talking about wisdom here. That's probably another sermon too. But anyway, Proverbs 8, 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. Now, that, that's, this is not language that wisdom was created. This is language of wisdom was called upon. Like he was sitting over there. He was like, hey, why don't you help me with this? Um, when there were no springs abounding with the water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, I was called upon, before he had made the earth with all of its fields, or it's first of the dust of the world. When, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew the circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. And when he established the fountains of the deep. And when he assigned the sea its limits. So that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. So creation is 
an occasion of joy and delighting, an outpouring of their happiness as they effortlessly co-labor together in joy to make you and I. So then you marry that up with Genesis, yeah? Because all of the creation accounts in the Bible, they stand as a unified whole. They're telling us the one thing. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered, was hovering over the face of the water, language of an eagle, like an eagle hovering over its nest. And then God said, let us, let the three of us make man, make humanity in our image, in our likeness. So putting it all together, we have all three persons of the Godhead in delightful creative outpouring, not because they're lacking or deficient or needy, but because they simply want to share the joy that they have with something else. And then, and then God makes us capable, because we're created in his image, capable of knowing and experiencing the same joy that they have. I mean, that's what sets Christianity and the God of Christianity apart from all other things. Like, all other, like if, if God is just a singularity, how does he know what joy is? How does he know what love is? And if the world is just an impersonal force, it's random, like none of this stuff matters anyway. Yeah, that's not in my notes, that's just for free. We are created by a joy-filled God in joy to know and experience all our environments and encounters and all our exercises as gifts that point us back to and lead us back in gladness-filled relational joy with God who is the giver of joy. So every good thing from food and wine and marriage and art and music and sport and, and space travel, uh, the study of horology, uh, those things, if they bring you joy, your joy should not terminate there. But if, that, you know, if there's joy in that, you were not created for your joy to terminate on those things. But these things should cause you to delight in the God who wired you up to find joy in these things, in these spaces, in these environments. Now, that gift, that base note of our hearts became disordered and dysfunctional when we said that God was not was an insufficient source of joy. Joy can be found in the inquiring of knowledge and experience separate from God, apart from God, which is a moment captured in Genesis 3. The Bible calls this approach to life Sin, And ever since we grasped for it, we have been enslaved to it. Enslaved to the finite and fragile sources of joy that exist outside of God. They were only ever meant to be like away stations. They were never meant to be the terminal. They were never meant to be ultimate. So we've made them ultimate. So, so rather than provide joy... They now enslave us there. Like if your joy terminates on wine, you know, and there's nothing beyond that, then, then, then you can end up an alcoholic. Like if your joy terminates on marriage, then, then you are destroyed when your spouse isn't perfect because you thought that's where your joy should terminate. And you find all your joy there. Like if your joy terminates in your children... When they fail you, when they embarrass you, 
your soul will be crushed because you are looking for them to be your source of joy. If your joy terminates in the study of horology, then you will be very sad when you run out of time. It's a silly little joke that I put in there. I guarantee you, none of you understand it. Google it. Maybe Nick. Nick might know what I'm talking about. Sin. Dysfunctional joy has robbed us of the joy we were made for. And as Romans puts it, by suppressing the truth of where joy is found and enslaving us to believe that if we just had more time, if we just had a better marriage, you know, a more fulfilling job, if my childhood dream of being in a rock band had worked out or if I had more money, yeah, 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 then I'd be joyous. Or maybe if I had less stuff to manage, less stress, less family conflict, less weight maybe, less pain, I'd have more space for joy. But we do not need more of what we already have. We need what we've lost. The presence of God as the joy ballast of our souls. And that is why the words of the angels that appeared uh, to some shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus are so significant. There in Luke 2.10, a couple of angels turn up and they say, Fear not, which is what angels have to say when they turn up because everyone thinks they're going to die. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. So not regular joy, not joy you get when Carlton win a premiership or, or when your first child is born, yeah? Or Melbourne United crush the Perth Wildcats. Not that kind of joy, but great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now here we have the gospel spoken to us by the angels, messages from heaven, and every single word of what they say is important. But we're interested in how this announcement means great joy is back on the table for all the people. Now, the people here are not every single, people on, every single person on planet Earth. The all is not universal here, but specific, and it's actually referring to the Jews who should, when they hear about the story of Jesus' birth, when they hear about all the narrative around it, have their hearts filled with unspeakable joy because of all the people on the planet, they should recognize the arrival of a Savior who fills up, who restores, who makes good all the Old Testament promises of what God said he was going to do. Now, the scope of that widens as the gospel unfolds. But the Jews should instinctively see this announcement of Jesus and all that's surrounding it as joy. Like they should be, yes, this is joy. The angel was right. This is great joy. Because they have promises like the ones found in Isaiah 51.11, promises of everlasting salvation, that a comforter and a savior is coming who will be the cause of eternal joy crowning their heads to the extent that their happiness and their joy is going to overtake them. And earlier in Isaiah 35, a prophet speaks of a divine deliverance that points kind of well beyond the immediate historic context of their restoration from exile in Babylon. And it looks forward, and the picture of the promise that they have 
uh, from Isaiah here is, is, is ultimately this everlasting joy. And in this everlasting joy, there's going to be singing and gladness that will become the new reality, unchangeable reality of the redeemed. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and singing shall flee away. Indeed, these promises were looking well beyond just the birth of Jesus, but ultimately like they're looking toward his second coming when everything is restored. Now here in Luke, we have this announcement of the arrival of this great joy, the kind of joy that's being described, that's being promised by the likes of Isaiah. Indeed, Luke's gospel is a story that rings and explodes with joy, like Every time someone opens their mouth in the first two chapters about talking about the birth of Jesus, it's attached to joy. The arrival of Jesus into the world is the reestablishing and the reclaiming of the joy that had been lost because sin has caused our hearts to settle for joy that's corruptible. Uh, in things that fade, in things that get stolen, and not in God who is the source of joy. You know what Christmas is telling us? It is telling us that Jesus has come to save us from dysfunctional, disordered joys. Why? Why why is he doing that? Because he's reestablishing the glory of God in our hearts. He's reestablishing that here is something. Here here is a person in whom once once we have relationship with, that points us on again to God. It to see God as the ultimate source of joy. C.S. Lewis says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like ignorant children who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant uh, by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased and therefore we are far too easily disappointed. Advent is used to look back and remember the arrival of Jesus. And that word, we've said it before, that word remember is, is not about uh, just um, a historic event, but, but it's about allowing that event to shape your reality. Not merely call to mind a historic event, but, but to how that event, how that great, the arrival of great joy shapes our walk of life. And at the same time, because of the claims that Jesus made uh, before and after his resurrection, we also look forward from where we are in anticipation and hope of the completion of joy that Isaiah is actually describing himself. This year, as we wrap up uh, Advent and as Christmas approaches, the question is, Do you know this kind of joy? Are you you filled with this kind of joy? Is the ballast of your soul this kind of joy? You know, by the time Luke wraps up his account of the impact of Jesus on the lives of his disciples, on those who believed in him, the last line of Luke's gospel is this, and they they worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple blessing God. When you encounter the joy in Jesus, it reestablishes the gladness-filled relational joy that you were created for. Jesus has come to reestablish that relationship of joy in our hearts with God.
I mean, is that top of mind when you think of Jesus? When you think of God? That he is for your joy? Well, that's what we're being told. So five days to go until Christmas. Only like basically 10 days, really, if you don't count today, I think, left of 2020. And I don't know about you, but the complexities, the pressure of this year, the uncertainty and all that sort of stuff, the restrictions, the never-ending COVID compliance rules, I just want to strangle something, and the ever-present kind of possibility of a third wave, you know, what's coming out of Sydney has diminished my happiness. I don't know if you feel that like that, but I've been in that lane. It must be said that there have been times when I've just wanted to go outside and kick my next-door neighbor's cat. That would bring me a small amount of joy, but not, not great joy. But do you know what it's telling me? Sorry to cat lovers. I've, I've settled for small joy. I've settled for joy in things that were never designed to bear the weight of my soul's thirst for joy. It's telling me to thrill once again in the story and the promise of God who breaks into the world to reclaim that space of joy in my heart. Yeah. And as we approach Christmas and as we approach, as we're traveling through Advent, like that's, that's what we should be reflecting on. 1 Peter 1 verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Christmas is the story of reclaimed joy found in the person of Jesus who saves us from our slavery to diminished joys. It's, it's deeper than just self-motivation. If you know, turn that frown upside down, that kind of thing. It's not asking you to pretend that everything is fine and dandy. That is just, it's not even healthy. But if you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be and he did what his gospel claims that he did, then this kind of joy, inexpressible, glorious joy, is a reasonable ballast for our souls, is a reasonable place to retreat back to when the world loses its mind. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Um, that you are a God of joy. And uh, more and more, we need to kind of just refresh our minds with this, that, that, that you're not needy, <laughs> that you're not just sitting there going, oh, I wish, I wish if they just would be, they would worship me some more or whatever. But you relate to us out of the overflow of your joy. So that just frees us up to come to you as a joyous God frees us up to approach Jesus. Lord, as we move towards Christmas, and there is a lot of crazy that's got to happen between now and next Friday, would our souls just rest, take a moment to know your joy, drink and breathe. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.